What are you drinking there? <laughs> Water and coffee. You should mix them together. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This, yes. this, is, this is episode 52, Ryan. Today, we are going to talk about stress and I think this will be an interesting episode. I'm looking forward to this because you and I have two totally different reactions to stress, whether it's in the workplace yeah. or just in life in general. I am generally an anxious person. I am a big <laughs> ball of stress. Sometimes I got to be like, dude, don't stress out so much. <laughs> man, <laughs> just be. Just be. Just be, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and, and that's fine. I, I, I wish I had that same... That same reaction to stress. But I remember back in the corporate world, we both performed exceptionally well in the corporate world, but we both had radically different reactions to stress. Mine was a, a preemptive, you know, not, not reaction, but, but I was proactive to avoid stress. I would get all the things done a month in advance and, and do all these things to, to avoid the stressful situation. But you, I remember whether you were when you were in sales or when you were a store manager or you were managing a bunch of business people, you'd kind of wait until the 25th day of the month to start realizing, oh, man, I'm really far away from the sales quota. <laughs> and It's not necessarily true. Not necessarily true, but it was often true. Yeah, sometimes that would happen. Well, I, I remember specifically, I think the year was either 2007 or 2008, you and our good friend Stan, who, who is no longer with us, but you two were the two top store managers in the entire company. Mm -hmm. So I managed a, a region of retail stores at the time in, in Dayton, Ohio. And you and Stan were the top um, store managers, not just in, in Dayton, but Cincinnati and Kentucky. And, and, and you were competing all throughout the year to be number one, number two. And Stan, most of the year, was number one. You were right on his heels, right behind him. And we're, you were never able to catch up all the way because something would happen and he would just eke it out a little bit. And whoever won that year, whoever had the best sales performance for their, their collection of stores was going to get a trip to Hawaii. And I felt like second place was some lame prize. It felt very... Steak knives? Yeah. Very much like Glen Gary, Glen Ross, right? right? Like... Second place, a set of steak knives. <laughs> Third place, you're fired. <laughs> That's, that was very much that environment. <laughs> but I remember it came down to December 30th that year. I believe that was the date. Uh, was the day that you finally passed Stan at the very end of the year because you were performing <laughs> in this very high-stress situation. And when, when things got stressful in a month, I remember is when you really turned on. And it was like when you see the – the, the basketball player, like a Steph Curry, for example, who all of a sudden can hit these ridiculous three-point shots from damn near half court, really close to the buzzer. Mm. Whereas even if I was good at making a shot like that, 
you put me under that pressure with the shot clock and being guarded by someone who's amazing, I'm going to miss it every time. Mm. But you were like, you just pull up, hit that jumper, and, and, and keep going. For me, it was like, how can I you know, create the best opening so I can make this shot later, seven days from now? And, and you were just like, last minute, clutch three-pointer. And, and so I think we man, have a different I, reaction to stress, man. Yeah, oh, no, definitely. Um, yeah, I definitely don't let the stress get me down as much as most people. I think it inspires um, you in a way, though. Maybe. Um, man, I'm trying to remember that year. You know, I don't remember unfolding like that. But but uh, my, my memory is much better long term. So uh, maybe in like five years, I'll remember that whole year unfolding like right, that. Right, right. You can no, remember I do. the name of our third grade teacher or fifth grade elementary school teacher. Oh, yeah, Mrs. Burns, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, she was our sixth grade teacher. Oh, okay. So It was uh, Mrs. McKiernan, but before McKiernan, it was Mrs. Norris. Remember, because she got married. <laughs> no, I don't remember any of that. Anyway, hey, Mrs. McKiernan, if you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I, th- I think what it comes down to is – the OCD versus ADD uh-huh. because so I'm OCD, the, you're ADD. Yes, the the ADD in me loves the pressure. It's not loves the pressure as much as like yeah, that's when I do function best is when I do come down to that crunch time. Planning ahead is like I feel lost trying uh-huh. to plan ahead uh-huh. feel, <laughs> in, in a lot of situations. Yeah, I do, and I get better. I mean, I'm getting better and better at it. Don't get me wrong, um, but yeah, certainly uh, like. Before we go to an event, mm-hmm. you know, we'll practice, uh, you know, if I'm giving a talk or maybe we'll throw some questions at each other before like a, a media interview. And I feel like I'm constantly screwing it up while we're practicing. Uh-huh. But then like as soon as, you know, it's game time, uh-huh. like all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I got this. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Although I wish I was a little bit more proactive because the stress that I do feel, uh-huh. I feel like I could avoid it. If I was more proactive. That's a weird double bind, though, right? Because it, hypothetically, and, and it's impossible to know whether or not this is true in your situation, and I'm sure it's different for everyone, but hypothetically, if you could avoid the stress, you may not perform as well. Mm. And, and so I think maybe there's a, a delicate balance of, of stress or anxiety and, and the useful stress for some people. And for you, it may be that it's more useful than it is for someone like me. Or, or I get that preemptive stress. I stress out about something way before it ever happens. And, and in, in order to avoid that, the actual stress of in the moment, I will overprepare. Or I will, I, I will find ways to deal with it well before I ever have to because I'm not going to do well in, in those clutch situations. Mm. So before we dive into some questions, I, I, we've got some really good news. We've, we've been talking this year about getting back to basics, and, and that's a three-legged table for us, writing and, of course, podcasting. We're podcasting more regularly now. In fact, if you've been tuning in the last couple of weeks, you've gotten some bonus episodes. We've done more than one episode a week. And so we're back to doing at least one episode a week right now, and we might do more than that in the future. Who knows? But then also the third leg of that is doing some live events, some tour stops. And we are getting ready to announce our very first live event of 2017. So if you're listening to this, the day this podcast comes out, that'll be January 17th. That's a Tuesday. Well, that means tomorrow, which is Wednesday, January 18th, we are going to do a 36-hour pre-sale for tickets for our very first event. It's going to be The Minimalists Live in Boston. And Ryan and I are going to give a talk about minimalism. But then, more important, we're going to host a live version 
of this podcast in front of about a thousand people. It may even be eleven hundred people at the historic Wilbur Theater in beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. Now, that thirty-six hour presale basically means we get to give our audience the best access to the best seats in the house before they go on sale to the general public. So if you just go to theminimalists.com slash tour, that's our tour page, and uh, use the code BALSTON to get uh, those pre-sale tickets. And here's, here's the other cool news here. By doing the pre-sale, if, if you're anywhere in New England and you're thinking about going to this thing, whether you're in Massachusetts or New Hampshire or what else is in New England, Ryan? Vermont? <laughs> That's up there, right? Maine. I don't know. All those states run together. New York. Yeah, if you're well, yeah, New York. So New England, New York, New Brunswick. If you're in Canada, come on down. Uh, But if you use the code Boston over there, uh, that means you'll have access to that 36-hour presale. It starts noon on the 18th, and 100% of the profits from the presale, 100% are going to go toward building an orphanage. So you're going to help out a lot of kids in this process. Plus, you get to see us live and. We're going to be dishing out hugs and hosting a live version of this podcast. We'll also give a talk and, and answer any questions that you have in person. We hope to see you there. Find all the details at theminimalists.com slash tour. And then tickets go on sale f- uh, to the general public on that Friday. That's uh, January 20th, so anyone can sign up then. And, of course, on that same tour page, you can sign up for our email newsletter. That's where we'll notify people. To be, you'll be the first to know if you're on our email news list of any additional tour stops we do. Because if this Boston event goes well, that means, of course, we're going to do some other events throughout this year as well. We hope to come to your city and spend a night of less with with you all. All right, let's jump on in. Our first question is from Steve in Massachusetts. Six months ago, I quit my long hours, high stress job to do a more deliberate lifestyle. I work a part-time job, and I love it. It allows me to pay the rent. In my free time, I've been trying to focus on my passions and also pursue a personal business endeavor. It's not been highly successful, and at times I've found myself not enjoying the things I am passionate about as much as I did when time constraint was a factor. As a natural introvert, I'm not incredibly comfortable sharing my lifestyle choice with my close friends and family, and when I do, I've found I do not really understand it. While I know there are plenty of other minimalists out there, it's not my nature to go out and find them, for support in maintaining this lifestyle. So finally, my questions. What do you guys find most difficult about maintaining the minimalist lifestyle, and how have you dealt with it? How do you feel more comfortable around people who are not minimalist? And finally, and most importantly, do you guys think you would have been able to be long-term minimalist if you did not have each other as partners in crime? Steve. So that's kind of like a three-part question there. The uh, uh, What's the most difficult part about maintaining a minimalist lifestyle. How do you feel comfortable around people who are not minimalists? And would we still be minimalists if we didn't have each other for support? Well, first I'll say, man, Steve, I wish, and anyone listening, I wish I could tell you, man, buy all our books, listen mm-hmm. to these podcasts, watch our documentary, and you will never want to purchase anything again. That's actually what I was going to tell Steve. So you've taken my answer now. <laughs> Are you telling him that's not the answer? <laughs> no, that's not the answer. Oh. Man, uh, you know, unfortunately, there isn't like this magic bullet answer to make me stop wanting to buy stuff. I, I am able to uh, control those impulses a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I still want to buy that new iPhone when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still... 
uh, could very easily, if I allowed myself, I could drink a couple bottles of Jameson a week. Mm. Um, I uh, uh, am certainly tempted by social media. It is an easy pacifier, and I could easily get sucked into that if I'm not careful. There are a lot of things, a lot of impulses that I still deal with. So There are countless precious moments dolls you could add to yes. your collection. Think of all those angel statuettes I could still have. Beautiful. Sitting on your fireplace mantle. <laughs> but no, you know, it, it, I still deal with a lot of impulses. There is nothing easy about living a simple life. Um, the, you know, maybe it, it creates less stress. Uh, it, it, I think, well, what we were talking about in the beginning of the show, mm-hmm. you know, living a simple life is kind of that proactive uh, action mm-hmm. to uh, to prevent sh- future stress. I totally agree. Essentially, so um, yes, like it is. It is uh, certainly a simple life, but but it, it is not easy, and I still deal with a lot of impulses. Um, as soon as we come out with a book that makes you want to stop buying things forever, then uh, you know we'll do that and charge a lot more for it. And um, <laughs> the million dollar book. That's right. right. Yes. No, I I, uh, I, I totally understand the question um but a lot of things are still hard for me as as a minimalist i think the reason why i'm able to uh, continue this lifestyle is because of the habits i've incorporated into my life through this journey but you know i'm gonna go to your third question um no matter what like like i I really like to think that uh, i would still be interested in this philosophy uh in in my life if it wasn't for josh being in here because you know, if if it wasn't for coming across this philosophy, I wouldn't be able to. I don't know, like live the life I want to live, and yeah, uh, and uh, you know, certainly. Um, again, that doesn't mean that I live an easy life, uh, but yes, I know that living debt free, I'm not going to have stress two or three months from now if everything falls apart and all of a sudden I got to, you know, figure out how to make that mortgage payment or make that car payment. So, so yeah, I, I would still like to think. In some, you know, hypothetical parallel universe where Josh and I never met, um, I would still, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would be, you know, the minimalist with someone else or if Josh would be the minimalist. Yeah, with I, I, I don't think so, but you may have gotten there via some other route. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I like to think I would. And then as far as the people in your life, if you're in Massachusetts, I know you're close to Boston. I mean, Massachusetts is not a huge state. Um, if, if you really want to go out of your way to find people who are open-minded, who are like-minded, Steve, check out minimalist.org. At minimalist.org, you can just click on Boston right there. They do not have a meetup scheduled right now, uh, but they should be having a January, and if not a January meetup, a a February meetup. But you don't need to just rely on minimalist.org. You can go to meetup.com. There are plenty of other groups out there that you can find especially in your neck of the woods and in that part of the country, there are just millions of people and tons of groups that you can reach out to, to find like-minded, open-minded people. Again, this is like a simple answer, but that's not easy. Um, You know, anytime that I want to meet new people, I throw myself into really uncomfortable situations. And uh, you know, an example of that is the play uh, that, that I got into when I was first here in Missoula, I just, you know, stumbled across this, this role uh, through a friend, they were looking for someone to be a magician, and I'm like, okay, this is something I'm very uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't frequent the theater; it's not like you're no. some theater junkie or something like that, right? But you know, there's always like that that fantasy I've had of like, what would it be like to be an actor? You know, sure. And um, I thought, well, here's an opportunity to do it. It was scary as hell, mm-hmm. uh, but I jumped into it, and I have um, some very, very amazing friends from that play. I'm trying to think if there's someone in that play I don't still 
like see and hang out with. I mean, even from uh, you know from the the set designer to the stage manager uh, to the writer to the to the actors and actresses. Like, I still am in contact with every single one of those people, and I would call them friends. Um, one of them did move to Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. so like I don't I don't see him as much. Uh, but long story short, um, if you're looking for people to bring into your life, Steve, um, A, find a group of uh, like-minded, open-minded people who you feel like you would get along with, and B, throw yourself into that uncomfortable situation and see what happens. The worst-case scenario is, you know, it doesn't click. But in the adult world, you're not going to, like, walk into a a group of people and they're not going to laugh you out of the group. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I mean, that's the beautiful thing about not being in high school anymore. Or or if they do, then you move on to something else. I've I've had a bunch of readers recommend, and actually I've had a, a few close friends who have done improv as a way to sort of break out of their everyday bubble. Something else I've, I've also had fantasies about doing. There you go. Yeah. Well, Ryan might be attending an improv class locally um, <laughs> whenever we come, come to your city. Uh, first off, Steve, I'll, I'll say congratulations on, on leaving something that really, really stressed you out. But here's the big but. My question would be for you is, is, did you have a plan? Because if you didn't have a plan for leaving that, and you say you're working part-time now and you're trying to pursue your passion, and I commend you for, for that, but if you didn't have a plan, then no plan equals more stress in the long run, especially for someone mm. like me. Not having a plan will, will freak me out, right? Wait, should I stop telling people to quit their jobs and start a blog? <laughs> you know what? Um, I would never give anyone that yeah, advice. Yeah, that's terrible advice. That, that's the same advice of, of, you know, buy our book and you'll be happy. No, right. th- these are all tools, right? And you can do whatever you want. You talked about pursuing your, your passion here, Steve. Uh, Let's not confuse passion with excitement. And instead of just pursuing your passion, let's figure out how to cultivate that passion. Mm. You're not always going to enjoy that. In fact, part of the process of of cultivating a passion has to do with putting in the deep work, the drudgery, being willing to accept that you're not going to enjoy every moment. You'll enjoy large swaths of the journey, and you'll tend you, you tend to uh, enjoy the result as well, even if that result is a failure in, in the long run. And so for me, I had a plan. I, I decided to pay off all my debt. I paid off about 80% of my debt was, was my plan. I paid off actually a little bit more than 80%, but 82, 83% of, of my debt was paid off uh, over the course of two years. And that gave me enough leverage to walk away from the corporate world. And my initial plan was to just sell coffee. What do I mean by that? Well, I was just going to be a barista at a coffee shop uh, two blocks from my house, uh, from my apartment. I, I downsized a lot. And, and then write fiction full time. So just because you have a plan doesn't mean you're always going to stick to that plan. That plan will change over time, but it's going to help you from feeling so stressed out because you have a plan for uh, going forward. You know, and, if I could interject for a second, man. For sure. I think the thing, too, about... Uh, you know, having the plan, like that's certainly a huge piece of it. But I just want to like preface that with trying to break out of your nine to five job to make a full time living off of what you're passionate about isn't always the best plan either, though. No, absolutely not. I mean, you, how many times have you seen where, well, I've seen it in myself. Like if you were to ask me mm-hmm. when we were in the corporate world, hey, Ryan, if I uh, gave you the, if someone came to me, they're like, hey, Ryan, I give you the ability for eight hours a day 
five days a week, 40 hours. I'm going to cut your work hours in half. Mm -hmm. And uh, all you're going to do is mentor people. You're just going to help them. You're going to, uh, you know, move them, uh, inspire them. You're going to mentor them in some way and add a lot of value to their lives. You know, get to do that for 40 hours a week. I would have said, yes, that sounds amazing. I want to do that. Right. Well, I can tell you right now, uh, my mentoring schedule, I probably only take on about Oh, let me do the math. Uh, on at max, I will do ten hours a week of mentoring uh-huh. uh, because it's draining, it, and it's not that I don't love it. It's it, just that you know, it's like cake. I love cake. Mm, right. Cake. <laughs> I could eat one piece of cake, uh-huh. and it would be awesome. But if I ate the whole cake, I'd be miserable. Right. And it's the same thing with our passions. And uh, you didn't anticipate that at first because yeah. you would have said yes, uh, yes, I want to do that. And I think we often don't anticipate. Like I'm really passionate about this thing. I think. And it may not translate to doing it full time. And for me, fiction was a good example. I'm actually, I'm still really passionate about writing you know, narratives. So whether it's fiction or, or, or memoirs, narrative nonfiction. Uh, but I've, I've translated that into other things as well. I, I teach a writing class at howtowritebetter.org. And I, I help people that way. And it helps expand my own writing. I've written with you three different nonfiction books. I didn't anticipate doing that right away because I also knew that writing fiction full-time, I discovered over time, may not be the best path for me. I may not be able to sustain 80 hours a week of, of full-time passion for writing fiction, but it doesn't mean I can't take a little bit of that skill set and apply it to something else. Yeah. So uh, a couple other things, Ryan, that, that I wanted to talk to, with Steve about is he said he, he's an introvert, as am I, right? Mm-hmm. And he said so he has trouble sharing or, or maybe uh, I think the underlying trouble there is trouble explaining himself to other people, explaining this minimalist lifestyle to other people. Mm-hmm. And I, I would just tell you that you don't have to explain yourself. The people who care about you, they care about you, and they don't require an explanation. And the people who do require an, an explanation – they may not actually care about you. They care about this, this construct that they've created of you. And I found that when I walked away from the corporate world, there were people who walked away from me, right? Be- because I was no longer the ideal projection that they ha- had in their head of Joshua Fields Milburn, the, the corporate executive managing this group of people. And so they no longer wanted to be associated with me. But because I led a, I then started leading a life that was congruent with my values. Other people came came along. I mean, I can't tell you. I'm sure you've had the same thing. How many people from five, six, eight, ten, twenty years ago have reached out to me? Especially since the documentary came out oh, on yeah. Netflix. Oh my God! I saw your documentary. Uh-huh. I get I get random texts. Is this still your phone number? <laughs> <laughs> You know who reached out to me? Mark Lundahl, of all people. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's so, great. Hi, Mark. Um, but, so and, and that's someone who, he was a general manager in Dayton, very, very big you know, executive VP kind of level uh, person. And, and our values just moved us in different directions. But the cool thing is people come along when they realize that, oh, what you're doing it, it aligns with maybe a vision of myself that, that I want to become. It doesn't mean you need to go around preaching minimalism to people. That's not even what Ryan and I do. We, and we don't have any grandiose dreams either of trying to change the world. We want to be able to help a few people. And it's pretty cool to be able to do that, to get to be some messengers. And if it changes some few people along the way, that's great. But it's not our, our, our journey to try to change other people. It's to share a recipe that's worked well for us in hopes that it may help some other people. 
Uh, Steve also asked Ryan, what was the most difficult thing? Mm. For me, the most difficult was getting momentum. I was mm. overwhelmed by stuff, by career, by stress. And so I was stressed out. And so you look at the, the average house that has 300,000 items in it, and you're like, how am I supposed to deal with all this? I'm overwhelmed. I don't have any momentum. And you just have to start somewhere. That could be the 30-day minimalism game. It could be just getting rid of one thing right now today. It's getting the momentum you need because as you get more and more momentum, uh, letting go gets easier by the day. And I'll tell you, this lifestyle is not difficult at all now. Like what's most difficult now? Nothing. Nothing is difficult for me. Like Ryan said, it may not be easy because easy is going with the flow. You don't always want to go with the flow. You want to swim against the stream if you want to do some some meaningful work. A couple other things that Steve asked was about uh, uh, how do you feel comfortable around non-minimalists? Two things for me is I avoid judging those people. It's not my place. When we, when we go stay on the on the road with different readers and stuff, we go to someone's house, first thing they'll say is, well, I'm not a minimalist like you. And I'll just respond with, you know what? I don't judge. I identify. <laughs> we right? aren't stuff shamers. <laughs> right. What, what is all this stuff in your house? I am so disgusted. Hey, Ryan, let's go in the other room and talk about them. Right. I mean, we would never do that. I, I identify with other people. And so if anything, find a way to identify with those people who may not be minimalist. You can understand them. You got to get past just the tolerating their stuff and, and accept them for who they are and appreciate who they are ultimately as they you know, deal with what their own problems are. But just because you, you find stuff to be a problem, you don't want to project that onto them. Many people don't have any problems at all with, with that, that type of consumption, and they're okay with it. And so I don't want to judge them because ultimately I realize that, that judgment is just a mirror that reflects my own insecurity. So when I'm judging someone else, I'm really just judging myself. And so the other thing I'm going to say is, is to balance that out a bit. You, you want to surround yourself with other people, right? And so Ryan mentioned minimalist.org, which are 100 free local meetup groups in, in 100 different cities. Uh, across the world, eight different countries, basically. There's also an online city there if we don't have a meetup group in your city. And we don't want anything from you for that. We just set up these groups to help people connect with other open-minded or like-minded people. So you can find some people around there because you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Surround yourself with new, supportive, empowering people. And uh, by the way, since Steve, since you are in Massachusetts, hopefully you're relatively close to Boston, uh, Sean, if you could reach out to him, I'd love to give him a couple tickets to that Boston event that we have going on. We'll give him some of the good pre-sale tickets, and hopefully you can meet some other supportive folks there. Ryan, I know we've had just so many people who have connected at our events. It's the reason we started Minimalist.org was during our 2014 tour. We were out on the road, 100 different cities, but before that, we'd go to a city and someone would say, hey, it's great, you're here for a couple hours, and you answer some good questions, and I feel great, I feel great about this experience, but now how do I connect with other open-minded or like-minded people? And I was like, you know, I don't know. I, uh, have you tried OkCupid or something? Like, they're just, there wasn't a great way for me to point them in that direction. So we went on that 100-city tour. We left behind these free local meetup groups in every city in hopes that these people could connect locally and we'll be very hands-off. We'll inter interact and engage occasionally online within the group. But this is an opportunity for you to meet those new people. So, Steve, we'll see you at the, the Boston event. Come on up, grab a hug, listen to the live podcast. Uh, Sean will reach out to you to get you those tickets. Our next question is from Tasha in Milwaukee. Um, I am a teacher, and um, I used to teach third grade last year, and I made the big transition to teach eighth grade this year as a literacy teacher. Um, currently, I have about 120 students. 
And there are many times, probably about twice a week um, or every other week, I have to grade 120 papers. And each paper is about four to five pages. And I can't do that during my work day. Um, and, you know, I don't know if I can go another year. It was very stressful for me. I didn't find it in enjoying. Um, I am currently on the lookout for another job. And if I don't get another job, then I will have to go another year with grading that many papers. And that went into my weekend and went, um, you know, after school. So I really lost a lot of time. And I'm wondering if you guys think that it's worth it um, to stick with this job. Um, I am hoping to get a younger grade. I really enjoy that. I find that that is my forte. Um, but if I don't, um, I'm going to have to manage it. So I guess it's kind of a two-part question. Do you think that that is a job that um, I should stay with? or uh, And, like, if I do stay with it, how can I manage that? Wow, Tasha, that is <laughs> – Josh and I were talking about this as we were listening to the question. Um, I said, man, Josh, it's like she has to read a novel a, a week – uh-huh. And then you were like... It's a really crappy novel, though. Right, right, because it's a bunch of fourth graders, which, you know, I'm sure some of the papers are endearing, but They're yeah. Eighth graders. Eight, or eighth graders, sorry. Yeah, yeah. She wants to go, like, down to, like, fourth, yeah, younger she, she younger. She was the grades. third before, right. Yeah. So, Tasha, um, you know, the so her first question that stands out is, is it worth it to hang on to this job? Um, I need to, to know a little bit more information to uh, answer that, but I, I guess here's what I'll say. Um, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yes, it is absolutely worth it if this is the only way you have to pay your bills right now. Like, if you're going to go bankrupt, uh, you know, by not having, uh, you know, what what is the average American? How, how many months away? How many paychecks away are they from bankruptcy? Two. Okay, so I hope you're not, you know, f- fall into that average. Yeah. Um, but if this is the only job you have and... Yes, if you don't have a job for four months, you're going to go bankrupt. Then yes, it absolutely is worth it to, to hang on. Right. Now, if you are in a position where you can find a lower grade to go to and you could do something that aligns more with your values and beliefs, then no, it is absolutely not worth uh, hanging on to this job. I really hope that you get that job that uh, you just went out for. But, but yeah, at the end of the day, um, pay your bills. Uh, make sure that those are... Uh, that you get food on your table, essentially. And then I was going to say, too, you know, there's no harm with, with all the paperwork and stuff that you have. I don't think there's any harm to go to someone, uh, a, a superior, your boss or, you know, someone else who has authority and and tell them, like, hey, look, this is an unbelievable amount of work that I have to do each week, and it's not reasonable. I need to either have less students or I need to have, you know, uh, uh, someone to help assist me. Or maybe if, if somehow we could squeeze in, um, you know, a, a few hours a week somewhere uh, during work hours for me to get these papers done. But I don't think that's an unreasonable ask. I know when I was managing a lot of people, uh, I respected people who came to me and they're like, hey, my job's too hard and here's why. And sometimes I would look at them and be like, I'm sorry, this is your job. Uh, continue to do what you, you're doing. Or uh, maybe they bring up a good point and, or, and enough people would say something to me and I'd be like, you know what, something does need to be looked at. But I never looked down on anyone for, for bringing that up. I, I think that there are certainly those types of bosses out there. 
Um, if you're working for one of those bosses, I don't care what they're willing to negotiate with you, then get out of there. Because I would never work for someone who would look down on me for asking uh, something like right. that. Right. And, and, and so what, you're, what she said is she may not have that much control over the curriculum. But what you're saying is, is there a way you can take back some control right. of, of that curriculum so that you're grading fewer papers or you find a way to do it more effectively? Because right now, Ryan, she, she doesn't find it very meaningful. She doesn't find this work to be meaningful at all. And there are basically three reasons. What, what's the name of that book? Um, I'm blanking on it. If it comes to me, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back. I think it's called Drive. I've, I've talked about it before. Oh, yeah. there, 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 are three, there are three reasons that we, that we, that we feel compelled to do work and money is generally not one of them. Now, granted, we all have to pay the bills. So, so if you can earn enough money to get that discussion off the table, a a five thousand dollar raise it may not be the the, the deal breaker. You're not going to go take a, a a job you absolutely hate for an extra five thousand dollars and leave a job that you love in, in order to to you know, just make a little bit extra money for whatever reason. And so there are three things. One is mastery. Uh, one is uh, 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 meaning, so purpose-driven work in, in some way, and and the other, the third point is, I'm feeling like Rick Perry right now. Um, not remember. Just keep Oops. saying um. Just fill fill the blank space with the ums. That's what uh, I do. Department of Energy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, no, so so it is uh, mastery. Oh, autonomy and and purpose. Right. So right now you probably have mastery, although you're you're learning a lot more because you move from grade three to grade eight. So you're actually growing through that. So that's part of the mastery process. Autonomy. Yeah, you're by yourself in charge of a large group of children. Uh, every day. So you've got the autonomy, but you don't have the purpose in what you're doing. And you might not ever find 120 papers a week uh, meaningful. And, and that's okay if everything else feels meaningful, but it doesn't seem to me like it does for you. I can talk to you about a couple different approaches. I was talking to my partner about this uh, voicemail uh, last night. So she, she used to teach at the university a health class. I know some of her students listen to this because they, they will tweet me occasionally. But uh, uh, I know she had to grade papers, not 120 papers a week, but she had to grade a lot of papers. And she found a, she said, well, and I don't enjoy doing this at all. How can I find a way to make this more enjoyable? She would do it in the bathtub. So she's like, at least I'm going to do something that's enjoyable while I'm doing this and find a way to make it if not meaningful, at least a little bit more enjoyable while, while I'm doing it. And I can tell you my approach. So I, I teach that writing class, and I have uh, there's a final assignment at the end of the four-week writing class that people have to turn in, and I have to, to grade all of those, but I get some help on, on, on those as well. So I have two very talented writers. Uh, Sean Mahalik helps me out with, with the class overall, and then Chase Knight, who is a very talented novelist, and they'll both give me their notes on the papers. And so I still have final say and final approval on, on anything that I want to to communicate with with the student but it, what it does is it gives me the opportunity to see someone else's perspective and I grow in that process as well so is there a teacher's assistant or is there some way that you can get another student to help you with part of that that is within the the bounds of your authority there Dude, at, at your school that is genius what like a what a Tim Ferris s approach like outsourcing someone to grade her papers. I don't know if that's like, you know, illegal or not. You know, I don't know what her contract says. Sure. But um, yeah, if that's a possibility, like that's, that is definitely plausible. Because, you know, I know there is some, uh, you know, call it writing college student out there who would be willing to, 
you know, grade papers for, you know, 50 bucks or so, you know, something that is, uh, uh, you know, not, not a, a cheap sum of money, but something that would be reasonable. I'm sure that, you know, she could find. Yeah. And, and I, I'm willing to pay. So I make less money from my writing class because I get help with this, but mm-hmm. I also get another perspective and it helps me grow as well. Right. When I see the other feedback that other people have, it helps me provide better feedback in the future as well. So that, that may help you grow. So you also asked about, you know, should I pursue a, another job? Yes, I think ultimately you need to pursue a different job. And it sounds to me like eighth grade is not the perfect fit for you. I think of my, my former spouse, Carrie, she is an eighth grade teacher and loves teaching eighth grade. I remember one year she was needed to move up to ninth grade and she did it uh, back when we were married. And she absolutely hated it. Just that one year difference. Mm. Now, obviously. Kids these days. <laughs> obviously, that one year difference makes a big difference because of uh, puberty and, and, and all the changes. But she loves eighth grade, hated ninth grade. And so it may be that, Tasha, yeah, you need to find a way to get back to if third grade is right for you or what is right for you. You need to get some clarity on what you want here. And so you need to start asking some really powerful questions. What is my outcome, right? And why do I want that outcome? It can't be that you just want to switch over to third grade because you're going to grade fewer papers because you need to find this meaningful, right? It's not, you don't want to be running from one thing. You want to be running to wherever you are going. And I think you're going to experience less stress along the way if, and only if, you're running towards something you want to do. So whether that's third grade, fourth grade, first grade, whatever, or a completely different career outside of teaching, get really clear about what you want your, what you want your outcome to be. I think that is the the key to this whole her whole question, man, is to come up with a plan. Yes. To to find the light at the end of the tunnel and figure out what what you are running towards because I know when we were in the corporate world, when we were writing the minimalists, I was going to school and we were working 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week. It was miserable. Mm-hmm. And we kept that up for about a year. Now, you know, writing for the minimalists was a bit of an outlet. Uh, so, you know, maybe that was more entertainment than it was, uh, you know, work, but there were but it cer- felt meaningful. Yeah, it was a lot more meaningful, but there were certainly a, a lot of times where I was like writing an essay. I'm like, gosh, I really just want to like sit and watch TV right now. I don't want to do this. So I still had to drudge through that drudgery a little bit. Yes. Um, but it wasn't, a, it was not a sustainable work week for me, school, uh, work and, uh, writing for the minimalists. I knew it was not sustainable, but I did know that if I could do that for a short enough period of time, you know, a year is kind of what I had uh, committed to. Um, I, I knew that I could go somewhere else after that year. But that's my whole point is that, yes, I put myself into, into this unsustainable work situation temporarily. I temporarily deprived myself, which Josh and I talk a lot about in a lot of different ways. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the outlook I would recommend Tasha have. Is she, has to, she has to absolutely be there for another year. That's okay. Look at it as a temporary situation, but know uh, what you're going to do after that year. Because you're really going to fall into despair. I like what you're saying there, because you'll fall into despair if you don't feel like there is that light at the end of the tunnel. If there's no hope in the future, then yeah, of course, you are going to start to feel feel some certain amount of of discontent, and it's going to grow and grow and grow because... You, you, you think one day there will be something will change, but if you don't know what that change is because you're not clear on that, that outcome, mm-hmm. then you're going to feel more growing despair as, as things go on. I, I tend to think of regret as sort of this judgment of the past, but the stress that you're experiencing is a, a verdict on some non-existent future. And, and the cool thing is you get to change what, what that future existence 
uh, actually is. And Ryan, I, I was looking for an article to highlight this, and I, I won't read the whole thing, but our friend Leo Babalta, who's, who's in our documentary, he's, uh, he and his wife, Eva, they have six kids, and he wrote this essay called The Busy Person's Guide to Reducing Stress. And uh, it goes a little something like this. Stress is one of the biggest causes of health problems in many people's lives. It can cause heart disease, depression, anxiety attacks, sleep problems, autoimmune diseases, weight problems, and more. But we're busy. How do we drop the stress levels down while we're still getting our jobs done, taking care of ourselves and our families? The busy person might have no time for week-long meditation retreats, mini vacations, or weekly counseling sessions. So, what can be done? I'm going to be brief about this. There are five small things that you can do. A few shifts in mindset, a couple actions that take only a couple minutes. These won't solve the most severe stress problems, but they will help most of us. Number one, be completely in one task. Instead of being in the stressful task switching mode, take your next task. Let everything else go. And just be in the moment with this one task. So that may contradict what I was talking about, being in the bathtub with, with the, the, the paperwork. <laughs> but um, I think maybe being in the bathtub with the paperwork could be the best way to actually be in the moment there as well. So, so don't put it off. Don't postpone it. Just sit there with that task. And, and what he says here really resonated with me, Ryan. He said, there will always be a next task. The mm. nature of tasks uh, and lists is that they are never-ending. So let those other tasks come later. Just be in this one task. Let, let it be your entire universe. Number two, he says, see your ideals and let go of control. I loved this first line here. Fear is causing you to be stressed, not external factors like your job or family, or family problems. So fear is, is it's your internal fear. It's not all these external things. It's not actually the paperwork that's causing her to be stressed. It's the, the way she experiences that, that paperwork, mm. right? Uh, you, in fact, when you, you talk to high-functioning executives in companies, you'll hear two words that come up a lot. I'm very busy or I'm stressed. Mm. If something's wrong, I'm just really stressed right now. And the truth is, if you follow that, that, that stress far enough, you're really finding someone's fear. That's what they're afraid of. Your stress leads to your fear. And so you got to find a way to be able to let that go and realize that it's not those external factors that you're afraid of. That fear is internal, and it always will be. Number three, he says, accept people and smile. We get upset at other people because they don't meet our ideals of how they should act. Instead, try accepting them for who they are and recognize that, like you, they're imperfect and seeking happiness and struggling with finding that happiness. They're doing their best. Accept them, smile, and enjoy your time with this person. I think that would be really good advice for Steve, the, the, the last the question. How do I deal with non-minimalists? Well, accept and smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, this is one I, I do a lot. Take a brief walk. When things are getting stressful, take two to three minutes and take a walk and clear your mind. A short walk does wonders. I agree. Or a long walk. I, I will often go on a long walk to clear my mind. In fact, when it's cold in the winter, I, there's a, a gym that I go to and I just walk the track over and over and over and, and, until I'm feeling less stress and I make sure I'm breathing accordingly. And number five, do short mindfulness practices. 
you don't you don't have to meditate for 30 minutes to get the benefits of mindfulness. You can do a quick body scan, see how your body is feeling right now in 10 seconds. So those are our five tips. We'll put a link to that entire article in in the show notes. I think that'll help out. And then last, Ryan, she, uh, Tasha asked, is this worth it? Is sticking it out worth it? And I'll just repeat what Ryan said here. No, but make a plan before you decide to go. Are you in debt? Then get out of debt. You can see our, our get out of debt plan at theminimalists.com slash freedom. I think that will help you out a lot. Uh, also, create some sort of deadline. Ryan talked about a one-year deadline. Mine was two years to get out of debt. Figure out what your deadline is, and no matter what, stick to that deadline to make that change in your life. And then ultimately, figure out what your outcome is. Get so clear about what that outcome is, because making this transition is going to be difficult, but it can lead to a simpler, less stressed life. And Tasha, I think you will find some value. When you're done reading all of those papers this week, uh, we're going to send you a copy of Everything That Remains. It's a story of me and Ryan transitioning from a stressful situation to a far less, far more meaningful situation. It's a memoir, uh, and, and it really talks about dealing with fear and gaining clarity in our lives. So, Sean, if you could send her the book version of that, either the print or ebook version, or... Um, we have the audiobook version that's just being finished up right now by uh, Justin Mollick, a very talented narrator. So if she wants to wait for that, you can send her the, the audiobook version as well. All right, our next question is from Deborah in Los Angeles, California. I live in Los Angeles, and um, I find commuting to be quite stressful. In fact, I've gone into three car accidents this year alone. Um, because of the amount of commuting, and I actually just almost got hit again um, coming home. And I would really like to do away with driving completely, but um, it, it connects me to and gives me access to things that I really value and enjoy, um, like my job, which is... 40 minutes south of where I live and my boyfriend um, who is 20 minutes north of me Um, and I'm also close enough to Los Angeles where there are communities that I like to be involved with. Um, So if you have any suggestions or ideas of how I can remove the stressor without um, removing and compromising access to these really important things that kind of make my life nice and worth living. I would love to hear it. I agree that commuting can certainly be stressful, Ryan. I remember back in the corporate world when I was the director of operations for a bunch of retail stores, I, I lived in Dayton, Ohio, which is 50 miles north of Cincinnati, Ohio, where my office was. And I would try to leave very early in the morning, like really, really early, like 6 o'clock or so, because I could beat all the traffic and get there relatively quickly. I could get there in 40 minutes. Don't do the math on that. I'll get in trouble. Um, (laughs) But I could get there really quickly. But if I hit it at the wrong time, two hours in that Cincinnati traffic. miserable. 75 and 71 both in Ohio are like, yeah, miserable commutes in the morning. Yeah, Yeah, and and it can be – they can just – wreck your whole day because you set yourself up for this this discontent and so it is certainly stressful in the mornings 
uh, my uh, this was this was actually in everything that remains. There was this this a guy. I remember it vividly. Right now, I'm stuck in bumper to bumper traffic, Ryan. Bumper. I mean, it was like Los Angeles traffic, mm-hmm. but it was it was worse than Los Angeles traffic because at least Los Angeles traffic moves. But there must have been some accident or something was going on, and I'm I'm stuck next to this this guy. There's a sea of cars on on I-71, and I look over, there is a guy reading the newspaper, it's draped over his steering wheel, which would be bad enough if he wa- wouldn't have been also eating God. a bowl of cereal. <laughs> he was just having his breakfast and reading the news, man. Right, and it wasn't a self-driving car, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that look in your eye. It was not a self-driving car. It, it was, uh, unless you count him as the self. Oh, my And, and so, yeah, I mean, he must have been steering with, with his knee, and he was eating, uh, and the milk was, like, somehow all getting into his mouth. Like, he, he made it work. I don't recommend that. And, and so, yes, I agree. The commute can be uh, very stressful, especially what's going to add to that, that stress is being in a car accident. Yeah. I remember Carrie, my former spouse, got rear-ended by another oh. car, and she's been terrified of of car uh, being in car accidents ever since then so i i certainly can identify with that and i'm sorry that you've gone through that that stressful situation but the good news is you've experienced a lot of pain wait what does that mean how is that good news good news you're experiencing pain All right well in, in this case is it, it, there, there are two reasons we make a decision right it's either pain or pleasure and you need to be willing to make a change in, in your life here deborah and you i think you're experiencing enough pain now that you're actually going to be willing to make a change. Like I did in the corporate world when I decided there's enough pain here that I need to make a change. Or with my health and my back in particular, I get, I get enough literal physical pain that I'm now willing to do two to four hours of physical therapy every single day because it makes the pain go away, right? Or if we can associate enough pleasure with what's going on, going to happen in the future, then that will also help us make a change. So for you, you first thing I'm, I, I would do if I were in your shoes, Deborah, is I would either change where I live or I change where I work. Mm. Now, live can mean moving out of Los Angeles altogether. Now, I know that you are part of a community there, and and so that may not be the, the best recommendation, but it wouldn't be necessarily a bad recommendation either. You could try something out because you, you the thinking that, well, there's a community here and I will lose that, that's a scarcity mindset. There's an infinite amount of positive experiences. And you said that, that there are a lot of things near where you are in the Los Angeles area that make your life worth living. But I think the truth here is that there's an infinite amount of things that make life worth living, right? You can always find a new community. Or if you just move closer to your work, which is 40 minutes south from where you are, and your boy, boyfriend is 20 minutes north, does he really care about you? I'm assuming he does, right? He's going to be willing to make that hour trip. Maybe, maybe you convince him to commute. And if he cares about you and he understands the, the situation you're in and how stressful it is for you currently, he's going to go way out of his way. I know that I would travel an hour for my partner for Bex. I mean, no question. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be any problem. I, I would definitely travel an hour for her. I mean, I'm in Missoula, Montana right now because she is here in Missoula, Montana. And, and so I'm willing to do that for my partner. And if he wants to be supportive for you, he can certainly do the same. And of course, there are alternate forms of transportation. The good news in Los Angeles is uh, the city has been growing like crazy, but the 
the transport, the, 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 the public transit there has expanded and is, is expanding significantly right now. I mean, all the stuff that's being built with the subway system there, the new line that just opened up to Santa Monica, I don't know exactly where you are, uh, Deborah, but there's a whole bunch of public transit that you can take. And then also Uber is an option for you as well when you want to get to these different community events. Let's, uh, you can outsource that stress to someone else, and, and hopefully that will be a, a less stressful situation for you, especially as public transit continues to get better in that city, which you'll be able to use. And so I think those are are a few good places for you to start. You can either change where you live or you change where you work. You can take some public transit. You can convince your boyfriend to, to drive a little bit farther if you move farther away. Or you can get out of Los Angeles altogether and see what happens. You know, go on, on on a new adventure. That one may not be the best recommendation for someone who is uncomfortable with change or uncomfortable with variety. But when I know Ryan, when I feel a little bit of discomfort, and it's the good kind of discomfort, not not true physical pain, that tells me I'm growing in some way. Those are growing pains, mm-hmm. and so maybe that discomfort is actually a growing pain. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add to that uh, is the other driving options, like maybe carpooling. I don't know if there's some kind of carpooling option to, uh, you know, head down to your work or, or get you at least close enough to your work to where you can walk or a coworker can, can pick you up. But I know that carpooling is like very popular in LA. I don't know if there's like a direct route to your work or not, but you might want to look into that. And then also, is there a coworker that lives close to you downtown in LA that you could hop a ride with? Um, that might be something uh, you could ask someone for support. Um, and yeah, uh, just, is there any other way that your boyfriend can help you out, whether that's making a longer commute for you or, uh, whatever it may be. Um, it's, it's okay to ask for help in this situation. I'll tell you, man, I have mentoring clients in New York city mm-hmm. and a lot of the times they will, uh, you know, they're looking for a balance between like, what do I do for a living um, to pay the bills. It's really expensive to live here. What I'm doing is requiring too much of me, but it's the only way I can pay the bills in New York City. And, you know, to that, I say, you know, I can, like, well, let me preface it with this. I can never live in New York City <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, living in Missoula, Montana, I can, um, you know, live off of a decent salary and not stress about paying my bills every single month. If I lived in New York City, mm-hmm. I would be apartment poor. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, when I will say that to, uh, you know, a mentoring client, like, you know, you live in New York City, this is kind of the situation you're in. It's the same thing with LA. It's high prices. Uh, You know, there are um, commutes that you have to, you know, lines you got to get on in in New York to get to work. There are highways you got to get on to get to work when you live in LA. And then someone will say to me, oh, but I love, I love my, I love my community. My family lives here. And, uh, you know, I love the, the restaurants that are close to my house and so forth and so on. And I'm like, well, that's great. But you've got to be able to decide what is worth it more to you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like... Um, Those are all extra costs is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're embedded. So, so, yes, you pay more for your rent, but you get these other things. And is it actually worth it to you? To, to pay for those extra things. Yeah, it's like, um, I'm going to go with, like, with a really extreme example here, man. But like, it's like someone who is, you know, addicted to narcotics. Uh-huh. It's like the narcotics make them feel good. Mm-hmm. It makes them, uh, you know, really happy and manic. Uh-huh. But there are some consequences that happen from that. There is, you know, the with the upswing comes the downswing. Then you're, uh, you, then you're wasting money. And I mean, I could sit here and list all the negative side effects uh, of doing that. And, 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 and the reason why I'm using such an extreme example is because this is a no-brainer for most people. Right. It's a no-brainer to look at and say, 
okay, I'm not going to go down that road because even though it might make me manic in certain situations, the, the long-term uh, opportunity cost is not worth it for me to, to uh, take on you know, that habit in my life. But it's the same thing with, with you know, living in a, in, in a place like New York City or a place like L.A. There are certain opportunity costs that you have to give up yeah. living in, in, in that city. And uh, it's not a no-brainer for a lot of people to – I mean, obviously, there are millions of people that live in boats to the largest cities in the country. So, uh, I mean, that's, uh, you know, really, I guess what it comes down to is what is the opportunity cost that you're willing to sacrifice? Right now, the opportunity cost is a easy commute. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, Deborah, you've got to be able to decide what opportunity cost uh, you want to give up. So to sum that up, I, I would just say you need to get really clear on what you want your ideal life to be. What would it look like? What would your what would a less stressed life look like for you, Deborah? And then I would start working backwards from that result. I think a book that Ryan and I wrote called Essential. It's an essay collection with 150 essays in it, uh, and there's a whole chapter in there about mindfulness, which which certainly will help out with with stress. But then there's a, a chapter in there about priorities, and if we reprioritize. Our, our life and our commute and our, the way that we work or the way we interact with our the people in our lives, if we reprioritize those things appropriately, that can also help us reduce the stress level. And the last chapter in that book is about success, redefining what we mean by the term success. And so, Deborah, I'm going to ask you, how do you define success? And what will your life look like if you feel ultimately successful? Not successful in a narrow sense, money, job, career, uh, noteworthy status, whatever. But what does an ultimately successful life look like for you? And I think that book will will help out. Sean, if you could send her a copy of either the print book or the e-book, or it just came out on audiobook as well, the brand new audiobook version, if you have an audible download code, I I think you'll you'll find a lot of value in, in that book. Well, of course, if you have a, uh, a comment or a question for any of the people that we, we talked to today, I'd love to hear what you have to say. So you can give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can include any minimalism tips that you have, and uh, if we'll, we'll air off some of our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. And here's a tip for you. Write down your message before you call. It will help you articulate your point and radically increase your chance of making it onto the show. All right. Let's move on to our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round, where we answer questions from social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram, at The Minimalists, and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. During this lightning round, Ryan and I do our best to answer each question with just a short shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so that you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. Our first question is from Steve. Do you ever wonder whether the questions you receive are from people using you to make their decisions instead of asking for advice? Ryan, I could give a really short answer to this, but it wouldn't be as tweetable my my short answer would just be no <laughs> that's what i was going to put down to <laughs> no i mean and, and so here's my my longer short answer or is it my shorter long answer i don't know here's my longer short answer ryan for more meaningful interactions i avoid questioning other people's intentions and i think that's really important here like i said earlier we're not trying to change the world or put a dent in the universe or any of these other uh, 
cliche, trite stock phrases that you'll hear on successory posters or business meetings. But I do want to share something that has worked for me. And if other people get value from it, great. If other people don't get value from it, that's okay. Move on, please. I, I don't, uh, I, I don't want to pretend that other people are looking for me as a, to be a scapegoat to answer, answer and make their decisions for them. If we can help them make a decision, great. I'm, I'm all for that. But no, I, I'm not going to question their intentions. Dude, that's probably some of the best advice you've ever given me, man, is to not question other people's intentions. Because I remember just having difficulties and feeling uncomfortable just talking to strangers. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago or something. But I remember talking to you about it. And I remember you were like, dude, I think you're, you, you're questioning people's intentions too much. Mm-hmm. And the problem when you do that is... Well, A, you're not listening to the person. Instead, like, you, you've got this internal dialogue that's going on. You're projecting what what they're thinking onto you, you right? Yeah. And then, yeah, and then B, um, you are not, you are, uh, you're not able to be yourself when you're questioning intentions. Mm. Because you're not being who you are as much as, you know, reacting to what you think is going on in their brains. Uh, You're I guess, being the self that you think they envision. Yes, oh exactly. Oh, my goodness. What exactly. a downward spiral, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, that's some of the best advice you've ever given me, man. And that is um, something that, you know, I still struggle with. I mean, not nearly as much. Um, but anytime that that comes up, I'm like, dude, why are you questioning this person's intent right now? Like, just uh-huh. be yourself. This person is cool until they prove otherwise. Yeah. Anyway, all right, here my short answer is no also. <laughs> so my tweetable answer I guess would be being a role model for others is one of the biggest honors. So I really don't care uh if people are doing exactly what we say. Um I I hope they're not uh because you know to repeat my recipe or to repeat Josh's recipe exactly is it's not plausible. Um but uh, even if people are still doing that, I find it a huge compliment, and I'm so happy to to be able to be a role model for others. Our next question is from Adam. How does ambient clutter influence our baseline stress levels day to day? So my my short answer to this is it's a pretty simple one. Material clutter is a physical manifestation of what's going on inside us. And, and Ryan, if, I think if I were to expand on that, I, I would just say that by dealing with that external clutter, we're able to start dealing with the internal clutter. And stress mm-hmm. is yeah. a big part of that internal clutter. It's a result of that internal clutter. It's that fear, that anxiety, that sense of overwhelm that we all feel. We can quite often clean up a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of it by being in a less stressful environment. And quite often that means having fewer but better things in our lives. Yeah, I would say a visually overstimulating room can be just as distracting as a noisy room. Totally agree with that. It's, it's visually noisy. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Taman asks us, stress has affected me in many ways. My health, my relationships, my personal growth. Getting rid of stress is one of the reasons why I started my path towards minimalism. I guess my question is, is a minimalist stress-free Man, I minimalism. Here's, here's my here's just my. read our just buy all our books, <laughs> and watch your documentary. You'll never have stress again. The stress-free minimalist. <laughs> 
No, I mean, again, I, I, as I, I started the show, I, I am a ball of stress, but minimalism has helped me manage my stress. I mean, people at work started coming up to me when I first embraced minimalism or a few months in and said, you seem less stressed or you seem so much calmer and you seem so much nicer to me. What, what is going on with you? And, and it wasn't that I told anyone I was becoming a minimalist, but my, my short answer for Taman is minimalism helps us feel less stress by letting go of our vapid problems like consumerism, replacing them with better, more empowering problems. And so that's just around 140 characters. I think you can tweet that one. Nice. I would say removing physical clutter can help free up mental space. So, you know, does a minimalist have a stress-free life? No, like I don't. I don't think there is. In fact, a stress-free life kind of sounds boring. Mm. I, th- I think so because w- what are we really talking about here? Tony Robbins talks about the six human needs, right? Mm-hmm. And and the first two are certainty and uncertainty. Or right. another way you could say that is certainty and variety. Yeah. And so some of us get stressed or have fear because there's too much variety going on in, in our lives. Like there's too much chaos, and that level of chaos is different for each of us. I mean, Ryan, you are. A snowboarder. Mm-hmm. And so you going down a hill at, you know, whatever that is, a thousand miles an hour. <laughs> at I least. I clocked the, myself the other day. The approximate speed. <laughs> uh, uh, and so, yeah, if you're going down that hill, you want more uncertainty than I do because you don't feel it. You don't, it doesn't translate as uncertainty as quickly to you. Your threshold for, uh, for that uncertainty, especially with that particular task, is going to be much higher. And so we all need to figure out what that threshold is, but then we need to push that threshold. We need to feel some uncertainty in our lives because that gives us the variety. That makes us feel alive because if everything is certain all the time, like you just said, we'll be bored out of our minds. If there's absolute certainty in your life, you don't call it certainty. You call it boredom. And, and so we, we need that balance. It's this weird, delicate balance of certainty versus variety that we, that we all need in our lives if we want it to feel exciting, but also have enough certainty in our lives that we don't feel like it's total overwhelm, chaos, and stress. Shona wants to know, what are some of your favorite tools and tips to decrease stress and anxiety in your day-to-day lives? For me, it's, it's two words. Just breathe. I thought you were going to say Justin Bieber. <laughs> Justin Bieber. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I mean, I liked his last album a little bit, man. No, it was good. And he's got a song on Post Don't Malone. Don't tell anyone, though. Post Malone's new album is so good, and I talked about this already, and it's total juvenilia. So, But that, t- that tells me how good the music is, because I, if I actually listen to the lyrics, I'm like hearing him talk about his $200,000 diamond or something, and I'm like... God. How terrible is that? But the music's so good, I'm able to ignore that. Anyway, tangent. <laughs> what do I do when I'm stressed? I don't listen to Justin Bieber. I just <laughs> breathe. And, and uh, there are a few, a few methods that I recommend. One that has really helped me out recently is Wim Hof's method. He's called The Iceman. He has a, a documentary. I think you can find it on. Uh, it's like on Vimeo or something. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, hopefully, if Sean can track that one down. But he has this this method of breathing that I will use if I don't have time to meditate. What Leo was talking about earlier, taking a few moments to scan your body. But for me, I will do this 10 deep breath thing. Where he takes this deep breath. Ryan, you want to try this with me right now? Let's do it. While we're on, on the podcast. So what we're going to do, we'll step back a little bit from the mic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to breathe in as deeply as I can within three seconds. And then I'm going to hold it. For 10 seconds and then slowly release, okay? Okay. All right, here we go. One, two, three, go. 
feel a little tingly. Yeah, you, you do that ten times, you feel uh, exceptionally ting- tingly, and you, you start to get lightheaded because you, you've brought in all this oxygen. Now, the thing that Wim Hof does is he'll do that without holding it as long. He'll just breathe in. We'll try it again. <gasps> Not breathe it out all the way. And then breathe in again. <gasps> and then let out about 70%. Breathe in again. And you, you fill your body with oxygen. You oxygenate your body. And the cool thing that Wim has done that a lot of other these spiritual gurus or whatever haven't done is he's had it backed up by a lot of science at Stanford and other universities. They've done a lot of studies. And he's found ways to actually manipulate his immune system. Things that we never thought were possible. Hmm. But he's found ways to manipulate his own immune system. He's done things like climb Mount Everest in shorts, barefoot. He'll, be, he'll run marathons in the 120-degree desert. Hmm. And he does these crazy things with his body because he, he's found out how to manipulate his body. So uh, Wim Hof, a really interesting guy. I think he is from the Netherlands. And uh, I've heard him on a bunch of different podcasts. He did a, a, a really good interview with Joe Rogan. He's done one with... Um, uh, Christopher Ryan, Dr. Christopher Ryan, and a bunch of other ones too, Tim Ferriss. But I've learned to breathe. I've improved my breathing, and I'll just do even three deep breaths like that, and it will totally change my state. So if I want to radically change the level of stress I'm feeling, I will stop. Now, Sean thinks I'm crazy most of the time because he'll just hear me like we'll, we'll be sitting here in this conference room, and I'll start doing crazy breathing exercises. And i I'm okay with that. I'm okay with people knowing I'm a little bit crazy because it allows <laughs> me to talk to them about the breathing. So, uh, yeah, two two words. Just breathe. Uh, I would say daily incantations affirm who we are and how we feel. Um, I, I think that's where it starts with me is how I talk to myself because what I've realized in a lot of situations, uh, what I tell myself becomes true. Mm-hmm. And I can have two completely opposing thoughts, and it depends on what I focus on. It is true. Let's say that you and I have a really, uh, you know, I feel like it's a really bad podcast recording, for example. Uh-huh. And I'm listening to it, you know, post-production, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, that was a really crappy podcast. Now, if I continue to tell myself that, man, that was a really bad podcast. Mm-hmm. And then I, I start to think other thoughts like, man, you're really not that, you're really not that awesome. And uh, I start to, you know, basically get down on myself. Mm-hmm. That stresses you out, right? Stresses me out, yeah. And... Uh, that certainly makes me project something during our next podcast recording. Mm. Or I could tell myself, man, Ryan, that wasn't your best work, but uh, here are a couple of things to take away from this podcast. And the next time that you go to record a podcast, make sure that you're uh, you know, incorporating these things um, to make it better the next time. And I could literally tell myself you know, one of those two thoughts. They're both true. Um, but one of them is going to have a much better result than the other. So I would say, Shona, get some positive incantations in your life. I know um, it's funny, like saying that out loud kind of sounds like cheese, like sounds a little cheesy. I'm not going to lie, but it works. Uh, even if you're just telling yourself, uh, you know, I am going to be great today. I am going to not be stressed today. Just simple things like that that you can tell yourself over and over again. Um, it will help you feel that way. I mean, uh, placebo effect works 70% of the time, some studies show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, if you're someone out there who, who understands a placebo effect, this is a great example of that, where, yes, if you tell yourself something long enough, you will believe it. Yeah, well, and, and so the, there's the, the old adage, right, wherever 
uh, focus goes, energy flows, right? right? And so, like you said, and I, I, you talked about positive incantations, and then you said, I will not be stressed today. I, I would just flip that around and say, I, I will be calm today, or yeah. I, I am calm. And if you say that repeatedly, you've incanted that, you're going to start to believe that calmness, and that is going to lead to, to being more calm. So yeah, positive incantations are a great way. The, the language that we use determines what we focus on, and what we focus on determines how we're going to spend our days, and are we going to be stressed, or are we going to be excited? By the way, those have the same exact physiology. If you're really, really stressed, you start to get the sweaty palms and the heart palpitations, and you start to... Feeling in your stomach. Yeah, you get those butterflies in your stomach. You might start pacing around, but you also do all of those things when you get excited. So your body has a difficult time distinguishing between excited and stressed. So sometimes when you're stressed, maybe you're actually just excited and you don't realize that yet. All right, let's move on to our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. I've got three things here today. I've been listening to an album over the weekend. Bex and I spent a weekend alone together, and we listened to this album a lot. This gal's name is Rayleigh Nicole, and her album is called Answers. And I heard about it on a whim. She tweeted out about our documentary. I said, I just really love this, or maybe I think it was actually on Instagram and, and posted some sort of image about it. And um, I said, hey, thank, thanks for doing that. She goes, hey, I think the last song on, the, on my album, Answers, will really resonate with you. And, and there was a line in there that actually when we were talking earlier, Ryan, we were talking to Tasha about her, her, her job um, and it's stressing her out. The, the line in the song uh, was something about, like, is all the overtime that you worked really worth it for missing your kid's birthday or something like that. I, I totally butchered the line, but it, it, it was... It, the sentiments there. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a great album, and the whole thing was really good. It reminds me of, like, if you took Jack Johnson and Jason Mraz and, and removed their Y chromosome... <laughs> then, then you would have uh, Rayleigh Nicole's Answers album. So I would, uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. People can can check that out. Also, this weekend uh, I watched uh, one thing on television. It was a stand-up comedy special from uh, Tom Segura. It's called Mostly Stories, and Bex and I, especially Bex. We're just cracking up, and Becca has just the best smile, and so it was totally worth it for me. And I, I just remember like just cracking up the the entire time. It was on Netflix. Tom Segura's Mostly Stories, and uh, so if, you, if you're looking to remove some of that stress, Rayleigh Nicole's album is very chill. It's like very like beach music. It will help you chill out. Laughing always helps me chill out, Ryan, and feel less stressed. If I'm laughing, it's impossible for me to be laughing and stressed at the same time. And so hopefully Tom Zagora is special. And then there's a podcast with Dr. Christopher Ryan. It's called Tangentially Speaking. And he interviewed our friend A.J. Leon. So A.J., most of you know him as the former Wall Street broker in, in the documentary uh, Minimalism that, that we put together. And he's there at sort of the, the apex or the climax of the documentary. And he has just some beautiful lines. If you want to hear his whole story, I had no idea. You know, his father was a drug runner. He sold kilos of cocaine. Whose? AJ's father. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. I mean, wow. he had this crazy uh, uh, childhood and, and really went up against a whole bunch of different odds and then 
beat all those odds and became very successful uh, in finance hmm. on Wall Street and got the huge corner office promotion and was miserable with it and decided to walk away from that with essentially nothing. But he knew just he and his wife could find a way to, to make it work. And he, what he did is he traded website design for bagels and places to stay as he traveled the world. And now he does amazing things. He has a team of 35 people, his, his company does. And they are a, what he calls a socialist enterprise. He doesn't believe in socialism. He believes in ca- taking capitalist principles and, and applying them to social good. So he has businesses that make a lot of money. And he takes all of the profits from those bu- businesses and funnels it back into, in, into these nonprofits that he started. And his done so many amazing things for amazing people we've worked together before to fund schools in africa and and to help people with surgeries in india and and a bunch of different things and so he finds ways to to make money so he can take that money instead of spending it on himself or giving it to himself in fact he makes less money than all of his employees uh he does that intentionally so that he can build the world that he that he wants to to help uh and so I will put a link to that in the show notes. It's called Tangentially Speaking with Dr. Christopher Ryan, and it's with our friend A.J. Leon. Yeah, A.J. is one of the hardest working philanthropists <laughs> that, I, that I know of. Yeah, and he's on the road 290 days a year, I believe. Yeah. And uh, he and his wife and their whole team over at Misfit is the name of their company. They're, they're really great. We'll put a, a link to that. That podcast episode, I know a lot of people. I sent that out yesterday to some friends who may not necessarily get the whole minimalist thing, but this is a totally different approach. And he's, he's an ultra-minimalist. You know, he, still, he, he walked away from that corporate world, and he had a bunch of stuff in storage lockers. He just told them to keep it. Hmm. It was just amazing. So, uh, awesome. yeah, I would encourage you to listen to that if you're looking for another podcast to listen to. Ryan, you got anything you, that's added value to your life recently? Yes. Uh, Mariah and I have been using this face wash, uh, Mother Dirt face wash. I think Mother Dirt is just the brand, and they make – shampoos and uh, just other cleansers but the whole idea is it's a probiotic cleanser is this do they make that ao spray too they do yeah i I use that i use it all the time it's in my fridge right now yeah yeah you have to keep it refrigerated right i was using it um uh the 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 spray that you're talking about for uh like deodorant spray essentially Uh uh-huh and i still just prefer to like wear no deodorant at all it's it didn't really do all that much for me but i love the concept behind it all where it's like there are this this microbiome on our skin that when we take something to it like a uh castle castile soap or something, you know, a heavy wash. Something harsh, like antibacterial soap. Exactly. It takes all of that microbiome off of our skin. Right. And we need some of that to, like, have healthy skin. Yes. So, essentially, what they do is it's a probiotic wash, essentially, that gets rid of the bad bacteria but leaves some of the uh, good bacteria on there. Right. And what I've noticed specifically uh, with the face wash is my face is a little bit less dry. Uh-huh. Um... Yeah, I uh, don't have to like put oil in my beard as much. Mm, that's um, good because I know you you uh, with because you always were dressed in your black shirt. Yes, as I am right now. I'm yes. copying off of you, <laughs> and, and so the and you've got the very manly Montana beard. So this is helping out with that. Yes, yes, nice. It is, it is. Um, but yeah, that's that's my recommendation this week. Yeah, let's well, let's move on then. Thank you for that recommendation. We'll move on to right here, right now. This is where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. So I already mentioned this early on, but we're coming to Boston. We're coming to Boston on yeah. Uh, that's April fifteenth that, that we'll be there. But tickets go on sale tomorrow, January eighteenth. They go on a presale. 
Uh, use the code BALSTON to get the best seats in the house uh, during that presale. And by the way, all the presale proceeds are going to help build an orphanage. So we're really grateful that, to anyone who does the presale. Come on down. And if you're not anywhere near Boston and you don't want to travel to Boston, we might come to your city as well. Stay tuned to that tour page, theminimalists.com slash tour. We hope to bring some new simple ideas to your city. And we're also doing some other speaking gigs. Sean, I'm looking at Sean right now, but I think we're booked until about August at this point for speaking gigs. But uh, that means the, the back half of the year, if you're interested in having the minimalists come out and speak to your organization or, or university, you just go to theminimalists.com slash speaking, and you can you can bring us out to your city. We'll carefully consider all of those. We're, we have a whole list we're working on right now. So if you if you want us to come speak, now is a good time to reach out. Anything else, Ryan? Yeah, man, we got some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, my name's Karen, and I'm calling from Philadelphia. I'm calling in response to the Impulses episode, and I had a comment for Erica, who has the business that may or may not um, align with her minimalist values now. I just had a thought about that because I sew, and I do a lot of sewing for a living, so I've always had a large stash of fabrics. I also have a side retail business that causes me to sell things to people, and I don't always feel comfortable about their purchases. It sounds like her business is some sort of a craft or yarn store, and I thought it might be a good way to at least partially transition to start doing events either at the store or at another location, put up a sign to her customers, hey, is your yarn stash getting overwhelming? Come join me and your other customers and knit for a good cause. Make something for the homeless. Make things to donate to refugees. Do something that will use up some of that stash. Make people feel good about what they're doing with it. And also get together as a community. It might be a way to spread some minimalist values while she's hosting, but it would also do a lot of good in the short and long term. Hi, my name is Cody from Owyhee, Nevada. I'm responding to episode 46 called Let Go. You were talking about social media and particularly scrolling through Facebook, how, it's, how it brings discontent and is essentially a waste of time. My solution to that is that I have unfollowed all of my, quote, friends and groups. This makes my newsfeed completely empty and clean and keeps me from scrolling mindlessly to see what people are up to. Some people might think of this as being a bit extreme, but I find that it allows me to be more deliberate in my use of Facebook. If I'm thinking about someone in particular, I can go directly to their profile and see what they are up to, or I can send them a message and actually talk with them. Another thing I do to minimize Facebook is that I try to keep my friends list below 150 people. Studies have shown that the human mind cannot keep track of more than 150 relationships. If you have more than 150, chances are there are people on your list that you don't know or remember. Either way, they are probably not adding value to your life and are not worth cluttering up your social media. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you next time.
Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Every little thing that you gotta have, every little thing that you gotta have, you gotta reach for and you gotta grab. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. So tear your eyes away, or tear. 